Welcome to another episode of Bleachers and Boards, brought to you by the Hoop Heads Podcast. I'm Marlon Guild, and along with my co-host Matt Collier, we'll analyze everything from hoops to hip-hop. Check us out. Hey, hoop heads. We all hate ankle sprains, and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com, spelled A-R-Y-S-E, and use the code HOOPHEADS to get 20% off the future of performance. That's A-R-Y-S-E.com with promo code HOOPHEADS to get 20% off. Welcome to another episode of Bleachers and Boards, brought to you by the Hoop Heads Podcast. I'm Marlon Guild, and of course, I got my co-host with me, Matt Collier. Matt, what's going on? I'm good, man. Good, man. Looking, for, looking forward to another great episode. Hey, yo, you, you know what us, man. We always like to go outside the box, um, you know, regardless of, of levels. We've had high major guys. We had some mid. We had some NBA guys. Now, I, I wanted to bring somebody new to the table for us, man. Uh, Coach Mo Williams from Salisbury University. Uh, I've gotten a chance to know Coach Mo, you know, during this pandemic. And, you know, I thought he'd be perfect for us because what it is he's doing, what it is we're trying to do, it's just a great connector, right? And during these times with the pandemic, it's brought us a lot closer. You know, coaches that didn't know one another before, you know, getting to talk to one another and talk on a daily basis and meeting people you wouldn't have thought of. So, ladies and gentlemen, Coach Mo Williams. Mo, thanks for coming on. Uh, Thanks for having me, Marlon. And uh, Matt, you know, again, I told you guys before we got on air, man, just this platform you guys have created for minority coaches. Um, You know, it's been a blessing, man. It's been real cool. I'm I'm a fan and uh, want to continue to support, and, and I'm honored that you uh, selected me to, to be on here. So I'm excited to have some fun and share and uh, dig into the stuff that you got for us uh, this evening, man. Well, you know what? Before we, we get into to all that, because we like to get tricky on here, uh, like you've heard, but tell us a little bit about, about yourself, about your background, and, and how you got to Salisbury. Yeah, so different background probably than a lot of guests that you've had and probably uh, different than maybe you guys have even experienced. But my, my background's been majority Division three. Uh, I played at a school in Western Maryland called Frostburg State University. Uh, it's now Division two, uh, But when I was playing, it was a Division three institution. And then, you know, I like to say, man, uh, my, my faith, I'm really driven by my faith and, and my journey and everything that I do. Um, the Lord's really taken me a lot of places in a very short span. And uh, I think it's really helped me, you know, to now be in this space as a head coach. Um, so I've been at different stops from, obviously, my, I was at my alma mater uh, for a year. I was an assistant at Salisbury. So before I even got the job years, years before, uh, I was an assistant here. I coached at Johns Hopkins University. Um, I've coached at a school called Stevenson University, which is also in the Baltimore area. And then from Hopkins, um, had a great, great season there, man. Uh, worked with a great coach and Josh Leffler. We're 24 and 5 and uh, got the opportunity to elevate and go to the Division One level. And not only just get the opportunity to go to the Division One level, but work for someone that I really admired and, and got the opportunity to know being in the Baltimore area. So I worked at Longwood University, which was was a great opportunity to turn around a program. Uh, Coach Aldrich has done a fantastic job, you know, what they're continuing to do. And then after that year, you know, I think we all as assistants, you know, you kind of look for that opportunity. Um, sometimes you're aggressively seeking it, sometimes you're not, uh, for that next opportunity to lead your own program. And uh, was really blessed to not only become a head coach, but to be at an institution, man, that's, that's great. 
and the great location and great basketball history and now going in my second year. Uh, and and Lord, that's some, some good stuff, but, man, I'm just going to show you how crazy and, and Mo, the same thing, just how crazy this basketball community is, right? Because we think it's so big, but in actuality, it's not. So, you know, I didn't even know that you were with uh, Josh Leffler. Uh, Josh and I know each other just from the recruiting trails. Matt, I'm sure you probably know Josh uh, in, in passing a little bit. It, he, he's, a, I believe he's a hoop group guy as well as that connection to the hoop group and, you know, us being close to the hoop group uh, facility, you know, you, you get to know one another. And then uh, Coach Aldridge, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, was he at UMBC? He was, and that's uh, – I think we got another connection of, of a mutual person we know, Matt Henry. Well, uh, that's where I was going to go with. Uh, I got yeah. to Coach Aldridge through Matt Henry that, that I worked with at St. Peter's uh, yep. for a couple years, um, you know, and, and I, I talked to Henry almost every day, um, you know, and when he hears this, he'll probably give me a call and, you know, bust my chops for not having him on the show. but. That'll be a story for, for an, another day. Uh, but as you were talking, I'm just like, wow. It's, it's so many connections that we probably didn't know. And, and you know, that, that's one of the good things and, and beautiful things about this coaching profession. And it's, you know, the six degrees of separation, it, it might even be less than yeah, that. There's less than that. Yeah, there's less than six for sure. There's less than that. Yeah, well, Coach Mo, we're going to get right into it. Uh, and – before we got on air, Coach Mo is a big, big common fan. Much to the dismay of people. That's <laughs> dismay. Go ahead, man. Go ahead. I'm just going to say this. It's not me. You know, I, I like common. So. I like common too. No, you don't. No, you yes, don't. I do. Yes, okay. I do. You just don't think he's as nice as other people is that, is that that it that that yes that that is true i do feel that way i do feel that way but you're you know you we this is our one of our you know our guest one of his favorite rappers so we don't have to start with me and my personal opinions on, on, on him we what? could <laughs> he can talk about why he feels that common is you know one of the one of the best ever out there we can talk about his album. We can talk about his discography, you know, which, you know, we've had that discussion separately, but, you know, and you can bring that up once, you know, but I would like to give Coach the opportunity to talk about, and, and you know, his. We were going to do that, but, you know, what kind of show would we be if we didn't have the chance to ruffle your feathers early? Oh. <laughs> this, this is so that, okay. Well, at least you're honest. At least yeah, you're honest so about it. <laughs> okay. I, I, I respect that. I respect that, it. Okay. Coach Mo, the, the floor is yours. And we would love for you to talk about why you like Common and what drew you to Common. I'm going to ask you some questions about Common that I'm sure. You know what? The floor is yours, Coach Mo. I'm sorry. <laughs> Man, I feel like this is going to be uh, sparked to be a good conversation. But, you know, I think the first thing you guys asked me was uh, my opinion. And, uh, you know, that's the great thing about this podcast, man, is you give guys a floor to voice their opinion. But for me, uh, I mean, I just love lyricists, man. And, and that's the thing I think that's different about the music game. I mean, you go early 2090s, early 90s, where now it's just all about the beats. And I think a guy like Common continues to stay relevant in, in all those eras because. Uh, you know, lyrically, he's he's not just talking about cars and, and women. I mean, he's talking about societal issues. Um, you know, I know definitely during when the start of this Black Lives Matter movement started, um, you know, he had an album and, and it was a freestyle. I'm not sure how familiar you guys are with Sway in the Morning uh, with that freestyle he did on there. But, um, you know, yeah, I mean, just the, his his music stays relevant to uh, societal issues, which is something that, that draws me in and provokes thought. Um, there's a lot of guys that I like, but, um, you know, again, man, he's just a guy for me that continues to stay relevant just, just based off of what he's, what he's talking about. Uh, I wouldn't say he's my favorite, favorite rapper, 
but I mean, he's definitely a guy for me, you know, as we transcend different eras that stays relevant, you know, and gets played. Right. So you, you would say he's your safe bet. If you want a good listen all the way through, you're probably going to throw on some comedy because you know it's going to be a good listen for you and really keep you even killed, so to speak. Am, am I correct? Yeah, I mean, I would say I got a solid rotation of guys that fit what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm not sure you guys talk about hip hop, but Lil Brother uh, okay. in North Carolina, you know, those, those types of guys. I mean, we can go back to Pete Rock, CL Smooth. Ooh, now we uh, You know, like those. those big Little Brother fan, or Big Little Brother fan. Little Brother gets it done. Fonte is one of one of uh, one of the most underrated rappers. I feel like, but nicer than common. But keep going. <laughs> uh, here we go. We, we gonna uh-huh. get there. But yeah, you know, there's a lot. Fonte. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Mo, I, I'm going. We're going. We're going to stay on the common uh, yeah. line. And I'm, I'm gonna just go right to it. This is my personal opinion. Like you said, this is a show that we do opinions on. I think B is a classic album because you can play it straight through, no skips. How do you feel about that? I would agree. Probably say it's his best album. And, and I would categorize a good album on no skips. There we go. Now, Mo, I, I knew I liked you. I like you even more now after that because there's somebody on here who doesn't think B is a classic album. Matt, why don't you chime in on that? Is it you? Yes, that would be me. That would be me. I don't. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. T- t- tell Mo why. Tell the listeners why. B is a very good album. I agree that it has no skip songs. The production is very good. You know, excellent. You know, one of the best producers to ever make music. You know, produce that album, and. Lyrically, it's good. But to me, if you're going to use the word classic, that means that it's on par with other classic albums. And in my opinion, if you say that an Illmatic is a classic album, if you say A Reasonable Doubt is a classic album, if you say that um, Doggy Style is a classic album, The Chronic, um, you know, the list can go, you know, it's not a long list, you know, ready to die. You know, there's lots of classic albums, right? If those are classic albums, in my opinion, you can't put B in the same category as those albums because it's not as good as those albums. So to me, the word classic is rarefied air, similar to the conversation we had about the Hall of Fame. If you're going to use the word classic, then that means it has to stack up with the other albums that are held up as classics. And to me, B is a very good album. It's a great listen, great production, good lyricism. But if you compare, if you're going to say that B is a classic and Illmatic is a classic, and you put those two up against each other, there's no comp- <laughs> there's no competition there. So that's where it's on- the only issue that I have with it is the use of the word classic associated with it because to me that means you're saying it's comparable to other classic albums and i do not believe that it is so that would be my stance on and that in my opinion mo what's your comeback to that because you have one i I see it uh for the listeners you can't see this when you see it on the youtube you'll be able to see coach mo has that fire in his eyes that he knows (laughs) (laughs) he's going to answer this and shut down everything coach matt collier has said so please do please do please do i'm looking forward to it. There's, there's no shutdowns at all there's no <laughs> there's no shutdowns we're, we're just doing jabs no haymakers tonight okay i'll uh, take that you said classic correct right. that's the word that that really uh you say grind gears huh that's that's fair that's the word classic mm-hmm. yeah absolutely yep all right so you're saying that the B and let's stay with Nas, Illmatic, mm-hmm. right? You're saying it doesn't compare. Right. You didn't really go into detail as to how it doesn't compare. Woo! Okay. <laughs> do we really want to do it? <laughs> do we really want to go there? <laughs> okay. Like I said, 
the production on um, the production on B is very good. Kanye, you know. Now I will say they're very good beats. I can't say that there are any like uh, I guess you could say like go like go is a nice beat, right? Go is a good beat, right? But can are we going to say that go is one of the best hip hop beats of all time? No, I wouldn't go that far to say that. But there are a few beats on Illmatic that you could say that about. New York State of Mind, The World is Yours. There's a few beats on there that you could say are some of the best hip-hop beats of all time. B is a very good, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, Go is a very good, you know, track. Um, but I can't, is it one of the best hip-hop, you know, tracks of all time as far as just the production-wise? I, I, I don't know if I would go that far. And lyrically, I mean, do I really, ha do I have to expound on that? Like, do I have to compare um Illmatic lyrics to to do I uh, are you guys going to force me to, <laughs> to, to have that discussion? Are we, are, we gonna, think, are we gonna go down that road? No, I just don't think you, you're making it sound like common isn't good. Like, like, no, 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 no. And and this is the issue that I have. He is good. He's not Nas. There's a big there's there's, there's I mean. <laughs> We're talking again. We're talking about rarefied air here. We're talking about the best of the best. Common to me is above average. He's an above average rapper. He's not at the top. He's not at the cream of the crop. So with that, elite, average beats are you know good. Wow. Not the best of all time. So again, that's why it's not my opinion. I, I just think, and, and Mo, I, I don't mean to cut you off, man. I know you want to change. No, no, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. Okay. So let, let's go with the B album. Let's go with the first track, the intro. Is that beat not fire? You see, once again, see, this is what this is what I'm saying. It's it's What about the last beat on the album? Yes, yeah. Okay, the first beat, the first beat on Illmatic, if we're going to stay with Illmatic, okay, and I know we talk about Illmatic a lot on this platform, but no, if we're going to talk about the first beat, you talk okay, <laughs> if we're going to talk about the first beat on Illmatic, it's New York State of Mind, again, one of the best hip-hop beats ever made, Aww. okay, that's the first track, then, if you're going to talk about the last track, it's, it ain't hard to tell, so, again, the Kanye gave him great production, but are we really going to compare it? He didn't give him the best beats he's ever done. He did on that album. He gave him good beats. Good. Very good. And Kanye at that time was at the top of his game production wise. So he gave him good beats. I, that's what I'm saying. Y'all are trying to take it as, oh, it's trash. No, I'm not saying anything close to that. But there's a difference between very good and elite status. Yeah, that that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about the best of the best ever. That's that's the distinction, not trash to good. We're talking about good to elite. It's still room there. Mo, I, I'm sorry to do this to you. Matt's from Queens, so if, take take Queens out of it. No, no, reasonable doubt. Re, let do reasonable doubt. Do compare reasonable doubt to B. I, I think you can play both straight through. You, yes, you can. So but there, yeah, you, that, so there, I agree with that. There, there's yeah. something to be said for that. If you can play an album straight through, no skips. Yes, but that still, but that still doesn't make it as good as Reasonable Doubt. That still doesn't make it as good as The Chronic. That still doesn't make it as good as yeah, Doggy Style. You're right, but but I'm saying what what I'm saying is, and, and you make a valid point. I think. If you can play an album through with no skips, it deserves to be mentioned with other albums that are in that same realm of no skips. Now, you already know my take with Illmatic. I think it was written was better than Illmatic because I have scabbed. We're not get we're not gonna get into that tonight. Now we're not gonna get into that today. Now, now listen, here's another here's another thing that you can also put into the uh the the comparison for um classic albums okay common did his thing kanye did his thing but what impact did the b album have on the state of hip-hop and when you compare it to 
an Illmatic, a Reasonable Doubt, a Ready to Die, a 36 Chambers. Um, uh, you know, let me think. Uh, 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 um, only Built for Cuban Links. This, that's, when you're talking about classics, those albums not only were very good, but they also put a stamp and a mark on the game of hip hop at that time. B was a very good album, great listen, all of that. But what impact did the album, what lasting impact did that album leave on hip hop in comparison to classics that we're talking about? Coach Mo, I would like to hear. No, 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 no. I, I, I love it, man. This man, 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 you're breaking it down. Well, Matt, I think time period has a lot to do with it, man. You know, time, time period, time period, you said? Yeah, comments yeah, okay. coming up with an album okay. at that point where White T and, and Lean With It, Rock With It, right? Like, okay. that, that's, that's what people were playing in, in high school. That's what people okay. were playing at parties. The mm-hmm. era you're talking about, that was the main thing. Like, that mm-hmm. was the way of life. So you mm-hmm. have this dude that's holding on to an era, hip-hop. Because there's a difference to me between hip-hop and rap. You're right. So, okay, so he's, he's speaking, he's hitting hip-hop in an era where it's, it's pretty much dance, so the soldier boy, like that was the prime era when this album came out. So I also think like, you're talking about how it impacted, like you gotta understand the time period of when that hit. Like that was just around that time when Lauryn Hill, I think mm-hmm. if Lauryn Hill came out with her album right now, just being my opinion, these kids wouldn't listen to that. Like, they wouldn't see the beauty in that that we would. Because that's fair. I mean, that's fair. I, that, I, that's fair. I think it's so, all- so, so, so now are we qualified? Just, I'm just asking a question. I'm not saying either way. So are we saying that B gets the benefit of the doubt because it was released in a weak era of, <laughs> of hip-hop? And then we're going to compare it to, we're going to compare it to classic albums that came out in, strong era, in a strong era. Is that is oh. that what we're doing? I'm just posing. Oh. I'm just devil's advocate throwing it out. Is that is that what we're doing? It's getting points because it, it, it was released in a weak era when you're talking about some of the albums that I mentioned that came out in the best of the best era. Yeah. Is that what we're doing? No. If that's what we're doing, <laughs> I, I'm I'm okay with it as long as I'm gonna let Mo answer first, then I'm gonna say what I got. Go ahead, Coach Mo. It's on you, man. No, all, all I'm saying for, for me to end this on, on my end, and <laughs> I don't really don't have much else to say on this. On this <laughs> now you good, Coach. You hang, you, you, you hang it tough. You nah, good. Nah, nah, nah. I think we're talking this. about good all, music. All competition. I think we all talking about good music, good albums. And at the end of the day, to me, a good album is if I could press play and by, from the start to finish, I enjoy it. And you know, I, I'm, I'm going to hit y'all with something I tell my players, man. Comparison is the thief of joy. So, Amen. you know, I really don't. Amen. It's more of this LeBron and, and, and Kobe and Jordan thing. Man, why can't we just enjoy all of them and, and their own stuff? But I'm just saying that the era when those albums came out, that was when hip-hop was truly appreciated. You know, that's mm-hmm. why I made those albums so great is there was so much competition against those albums and they still came up on top. But I think that album we're talking about would be, you got to think of the time period of when, of what it was battling against. You know, that was not popular during that time. And, That's true. And he true. still was, was holding on. He still was getting love. You know, it's the same reason why we're talking about Little Brother. You know, you say that to some people now, they don't know what that is. That's true. You're right. They, they You're right. still be relevant. Like, mm-hmm. hip-hop groups that's never talked about. Amen. They so, made, they made, yeah, they made good music. Yeah. I'll just say this: two days ago, uh, was it yes? No, yesterday was um, uh, when we did this in a group chat. Um, Midnight Marauders by a Tribe Called Quest and Enter the Thirty Six Chambers by the Wu Tang Clan were released on the same day, nineteen ninety three. So we'll pose that question. Are either one of those albums classic? Is Midnight Marauders a classic? And is Enter the 36 Chambers a classic? No question. Yes. Okay. Coach, you would, you would agree with that, Coach? Yeah, I would. Okay. Okay. 
So I agree, you know, we we can leave it here. We can, you know, we can end the board talk segment. I mean, a bleacher talk segment no, 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 and, and transition to the, the, the board talk. But no. I just have a question. I just have wait, a question. wait, but, but before you do that, but before you do that, Cosmo brought up a good point. And, and you are not giving Common his credit for the album because of... How, how am I not? Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Because of the era that it came out in, that's like, Mo, what you just said, the discussion of... If LeBron played back in the 80s and 90s, would he still not be LeBron? We killed LeBron because of the era that he played in. And I'll, give you another, I'll give you another one. Mm-hmm. I've never seen Wilt Chamberlain play, but mm-hmm. if you bring up Wilt Chamberlain to any modern-day argument, especially a kid, they'll say, man, he was bigger than everybody, so what? You know, the rules change. Well, all right. It's, it's the same with Bill Russell. Are, are they, are they uh, under value because of the era that they came into? Like, I just feel like it's hard. It's hard because it's, this stuff's always changing. That, that, and that's valid. I wasn't, well, just to clarify, I wasn't saying that Common should lose points because the era that is, the album came in. I was just asking the question, were we giving him extra points because it was different from every? That was my only question. And I asked the question that everybody conveniently avoided or didn't let me get to was, are you going to compare B to Midnight Marauders or Enter the 36 Chambers? And I'm also, Coach, you know, you're a guest and all due respect. If we're going to be comparing, and I don't think you were doing this, but I just want to clarify. Uh, we, I hope we're not. Com- I hope we're not comparing comments. <laughs> I hope we're not doing that. We're not because <laughs> now we're going to a whole, <laughs> a whole other avenue <laughs> that you know, and we and we even touched the basketball yet. No, I don't think you're doing that. I'm just, you know, I, I'm just putting that out there. No, we're not, we're not touching that. <laughs> well. <laughs> Well, you know what? I think that that was some good barbershop talk. Coach Mo, like you see, we get a little crazy on here. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's and it's only because Marlon knows what buttons to push. That's 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 what it is. He's the chief instigator of the of bleachers and boards. And you know, that's 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 his. It's not his only role, but that's one of his roles is the chief instigator. So that's that's how that goes. Yeah, he's got a gift for sure. Oh, no question. No question. No question. I'm going to say this. Being that we were debating Common's B album and Nas' Illmatic album, we're going to segue. Coach Mo, in respect to Nas, the world is yours right now for you to showcase what it is you do uh, leading your Salisbury team. And with Common, it's your world. Mm. Last track, both albums. Mm. So, if you don't mind, we'll segue into what it is you do uh, leading your Salisbury team uh, into a season, man. Floor is yours. Hoopheads Nation, we appreciate you listening to this episode of Bleachers and Boards with Matt Collier and Marlon Guild. Be sure to check out these other basketball pods on the Hoopheads Podcast Network, including Thrive with Trevor Huffman, Beyond the Ball, the CoachMaze.com podcast, Players Court, and our team-focused NBA pods, Cavaliers Central, Grizz and Grind, Knuck If You Buck, 305 Culture, Blazing the Path, and Hashtag Lakers. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoopheads podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing and my co-host Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game from grassroots to the NBA. Got you. you would you want me to show uh, what I have prepared? Oh, uh, yeah. If you want to talk about it first and then segue into it, showing, that'd be great. Got you. Well, let's hit. I mean, I, I don't want to just jump right into that. I kind of want to, you know, uncover more detail, you know, what you, what you want to know. Um, you know, I think that can be something I'd probably finish up with just to get the visual, but anything particular, Marlon, on that? Uh, no, j- just as, you know, the leader of, of a program, mm-hmm. you know, what drills do you implement that you feel will help your team 
throughout the year from start to finish. You know, when we first start a season, you know, you probably start with with your shell drill. You probably start with, uh, you know, your your one-on-one, jumping to the ball, things of that nature. And then as time goes on, you know, you, you add a little bit, you, you take a little bit out. So for you, what what, it, what is it that you do with your program uh, from start to finish that you think is beneficial? And it's all beneficial, but what are some key things that you like to focus on? Yeah, no, I'll start offensively. You know, I, I think uh, one of the most overlooked things with off- good offensive teams is their ability to pass and catch. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and you'd be amazed just because passing is such an undervalued skill. Uh, you know, I mean, you guys coach Division Two, Division One basketball. How guys just don't know how to pass the basketball, right. um, and not not specifically a, a chess pass drill where you and I are right across from each other. Obviously, they know how to do that, but just in a sense of, uh, we do a bunch of drills where there's an advantage with the offense, and they have to make a decision. At the end of the day, guys, that's basketball. If I have my shoulders past you, what what can I do? What decision do I make? What pass do I make? Uh, I talk to our point guards all the time. I, tr- I said that you guys should be just like a quarterback. You should know where guys want the ball. Uh, so we're really intentional in, in that sense of passing and catching. Another thing, shooting the basketball. You know, there's so many different arguments you can have about tweaking a guy's shot, but for us, you know, and coming from a program where shooting is heavily, heavily emphasized, the only thing we really talk about is 10 and 10. So 10 toes, 10 fingers. Uh, and we talk about just like a gymnast after they're done finishing their routine, they stick their finish. And it's the same thing we talk to our guys about sticking uh, their finish by holding their follow through up. Uh, I just believe if everybody feels like they're Steph Curry to start, we can always reel that thing back. Um, Something else that's unique that we do is uh, I like to be data-informed, not data-driven. So everything we do is charted. You know, practices are graded. So if you were in our practice, each guy comes in in the locker room and they see from the previous practice uh, these four things. Was it a national championship practice for you? means, you know, you're giving us a level of effort and performance where if we're playing you, we are able to compete for a national championship. The second was a conference championship practice. So that means you're a guy not quite at the upper level where we really want to win, where we could win a national championship, but you're right there where we can compete for a conference championship. And then is it an A an A practice? And for some programs, an A is good. For us, that's average. And then you guys obviously know once you go past A, you only want me to get to those letters. It ain't good. Uh, but that's what we talk about is constant evaluation. I want to eliminate feel. And I want to create no. You know, I want guys to know that they're getting better. And there's a quote by a guy named Peter Drucker that says, what gets measured gets improved. So, you know, guys got to not just feel I'm becoming a better shooter, but we track shooting. So, you know, no different than probably your programs, but you're always competing against yourself and you're always competing against others. And then defensively, um, you know, we were not great as where I wanted to be last year, but as we recruited and got a good group this year, uh, it's heavy, heavy emphasis on guarding the ball. And we do we do a lot more one-on-one drills than anywhere I've ever been. And, you know, it just it's developing a mentality. I mean, you guys are New York guys, man. It's, it's sitting down and my man's not scoring. And, you know, we do a bunch of drills where – even working on not having hands on guys where guys have to hold a tennis ball. So they're holding it out as if they're in a defensive stance, keeping the guy out of the lane. Um, you know, so we want a heavy, heavy emphasis on guarding the ball. And then the last thing is rebounding. You know, we just believe if we rebound the ball very well and create a, a one and done culture defensively, that we're going to win a lot of basketball games, whether that ball is, is going or not. So, that's what we think of. That's really what we focus on. That's what we emphasize. Um, you know, there's a bunch of drills that we do, but I love doing drills where guys have to figure it out. I love doing drills where there's an advantage for the offense or an advantage for the defense, and you got to make a decision. You know, how many times have you guys heard in your practices, our guys aren't very smart, that's not a good decision? Well, I question how many times are you putting them in those situations? So, you know, we want to be good at the things that happen the most in a basketball game. Got it. Got it. Yeah, no, that, that's some good stuff. And it, it definitely makes sense. Um, 
know, and I, I think with the way things are nowadays, everything is statistical driven, right? You, you know, there's always a, a number that lets you know exactly where you are because you might think that you're a shooter. Well, stats say, say otherwise. You, you may think you're, you're a good uh, rebounder. Well, how are you getting those rebounds? There's even, you know, there's so much data that, that we can get now. You know, it's unheard of or not unheard of, just never been been thought of. And now that it's out, you know, you have something tangible to show with what it is one might think they're doing, you know. So that's big, man. And, you know, definitely love what it is you're doing uh, with your program and having those guys become better. So now if you can, you can give us some drills and things that you go through in the practice, man, that'll be great. Yeah, sure. I'll uh, I'll share my screen now. If that's uh, good with you guys, man. Absolutely. Yep. Looking forward to it. <clears throat> uh, all right. Can you guys see this? Yep. Okay. All right. So I'm gonna hit play on this, and and you guys can hear me as well. Yeah. yeah just make sure you um. To, if there's any sound, just probably pull the the volume down, just so it doesn't uh. Gotcha. Shouldn't yeah. be. Uh, but the first thing, guys, is, um, you know, we clarity is a word that's that's really big to me. And, you know, our guys need to understand what are we trying to accomplish when we're in here? And, and it's just this simple quote that I have in my office. I talk to the guys about this before we even step on the floor and have our first day of practice. But, you know, it's this philosophy. We practice to create habits that enable us to play our best in the most difficult situations. That's why we practice. And that's why we're in there. So, you know, we have to really create an environment where it's harder. And I know you guys have obviously heard this being basketball guys, but it's harder here than it is in the games. You know, I'm seeing I'm not seeing this for the first time because we're doing it in practice. So that's really what our practices are about. And there's more time put into it than the actual practice. And that's how, you know, uh, there's an intentional plan and and it's a good plan, Um, you know, Something I always, before we even step out there, we have, we have a thought of the day. Um, so the guys have to know what that thought of the day is. And it's usually life-driven. You know, that I, have to under, I understand as I create those that that might be the one time in these guys' this whole day that they're able to learn something about themselves, life, or how to navigate through life. So those are very intentional things. Then we have an offense and defensive keys where those are the, really the, the two things offensively and the two things defensively that they need to focus on. So when they come out on the floor, again, we're always competing, guys. So as soon as I blow the whistle, it's a competition, even myself, beating them to the half-court circle. And whoever has, you're doing push-ups. So, you know, that's how we start. And then I ask those guys, what's, what's the thought of the day? What's the offense, offensive emphasis? And then what's the defensive emphasis? And the cool thing about it um, is it went from being coach-driven to the players are like, hey, you know, hey, Mar, you know, you, know the, you know the offense today? You know the defense? And that's how you know you have a, what we call a sticky, a sticky environment where you're doing things that are starting to stick. And that's the cool thing I'm seeing in year two is the guys are starting to speak this stuff. But got some drills for you guys that we do. Uh, this first one is called blood drill. And – you know, you guys can kind of see here, I'm pretty much setting it up. So this is the first day here. I'm giving you guys a rough draft, um, you know, our, our mascots, the Seagulls. So I'm giving you the rough draft of the Seagulls here. But what it really is, guys, is it's a defensive placement drill. And we don't ever want to help. We don't ever want to go and help. What we talk about is our position is our help. And um, this pretty much is, is a live view of, you know, what our on-ball coverage is like with, the, with an offensive advantage. So what our on-ball defense is like with an offensive advantage. So it starts here. I'm fast-forwarding a little bit for you guys so you see it. And I'm just talking about these positions here. But it starts with the offense having the ball at half court and the defensive guy, his chest should be on his shoulder. Okay, and then you have these guys. We're a ball line, midline team. So there's a line here right in the middle of the court. If the ball's on this side, offense needs to see bodies. And again, we never go and help. Our position is our help. So that's really what I'm talking to the guys about in this clip on how it goes. 
just talking about these slides here, what they need to do. And then as I roll this here, and you see the offense having a slight advantage right over number three, it's where the ball is. And great job, probably should have called a foul here. Obviously that's a hook, but his job is to break contact and sprint and do what we call a slide and ride. So that means the offensive, the defensive guys trying to work his position back to staying on this shoulder and, and basically creating a tough two against contact. So offense does a pretty good job. Again, that's an offensive foul. Should have been called. Again, we never go and help. Our position is our help. I think this is the first time we've actually done this here. And we teach this last line of defense. We never help up. We only help over. So, again, you kind of create a very awkward shot. Should have been made, but it also should have been a foul there. So just giving you guys a feel of what this drill looks like as we change possession. Again, same thing. So offense has that advantage here. I'm talking to number 12 to get over to the midline. Here's a better rep of it after we taught it. Again, we really try to emphasize, so he should be working even harder to try to get back to the shoulder, which he eventually does towards the end of this, forcing a pickup. 24, again, our position is our help, so our body is here, but our mind is there, and we want to arrive on the catch. And this is a great closeout here. We talk about we actually don't chop our feet. So we tell our guys we want to arrive sticking his face. So we want to arrive with our stick hand, and we want to arrive with the high hand with an active hand. So a high hand with an active hand. And we're trying to influence this ball away from the middle. We're encouraging skips, not giving skips away. So this is excellent here. Good position here. Would have loved for Maroon here to be in front of him. But again, whenever we force these, skips are good for our defense because it allows us to recover and you're not having to catch the ball out of rhythm like you see there. Now, Mo, if you, if you don't mind me asking, Matt, uh, and, and I'm sure I know the answer to this, are your guys just moving on the flight of the pass? Is that what, what you teach for that cross-court pass, that skip pass? So it's 24. Yep, so okay. Yep, so it should be airtime movement. So we want to arrive as soon as the ball is caught, not when it's caught. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, airtime air movement, jump into the ball. Again, I don't love the middle drive. Again, just showing our motion here. What makes it tough is no one's ever standing in one place, so 12 loses his guy. And then, you know, blockouts are, are key. We got to be able to box out. Again, this will be a good one here. And we tell our guys offensively a good possession is a paint touch, creating a closeout. A defensively is not letting them get a paint touch and having control closeouts. So here, no one gets beat. We do a good job guarding our yard, and we force a contested rhythm three, and we get the rebound. So, again, it's a great drill. If you guys watch games, you know, that advantage here, I'll just rewind it real quick. This happens very often in a game. You know, where I, I didn't create this drill. You know, I've seen it from other programs. But why I like it is we want to get good at the things that happen the most. So offense having an advantage here, what are, what are we going to do? You know, what, what are we supposed to do? So we'll do this drill playing off a wing drive, which is this. And we're also doing, doing it off of a, a corner drive here, working on that rotation and those things. Got it. So great drill. Our guys like it. Um, what we do is we grade every live segment of our practice. So this was a live segment, and uh, guys got a feel for it. So another one of my favorite drills, this is called restrictions, uh, and we do it with transition or we'll stay in the half court. Uh, the restriction will be whatever I see we need to work on the most. So you know, maybe the ball is sticking. So the restriction might be a pass limit. Maybe the ball, we're not getting those paint touches. So the restriction might be we can't shoot until we get a paint touch. The restriction might be, um, you know, one more pass. Just little things that we want to get better at where guys have to think instead of just going out there and playing. And it's a great drill, uh, and it really works on your half-court offense. But how it's set up is you have my two assistant coaches here, and it's pretty much a game of make it, take it. So if, if you make it, your team can literally rip it out of the net, throw it to a coach on either side, and it's live. 
and why I love this drill is, uh, you know, the new guys, I, I, I yell this, I'm, I have my sound off right now, but it's a no pouting drill. So if you're pouting or you're upset, your team's going to get killed off of this drill because there's never stopping. And what I also love about this drill is uh, your team is having to move without the ball. So if the ball is here going to a coach, we're live. So if your guy's not paying attention or he's upset about getting scored on, you can back cut and, and score. So you'll get to see this here. But it's a great drill and, um, you know, something we, we really work on. But it's a great job forcing a shot that not very high percentage. See my assistant coaches running on the sideline. The restriction of this one is, is paint touch. So we get a paint touch, get a score. You see there, he outlets it to coach, and then we're live. Now, can, can it be swung to the coach on the sideline at any point in time? Or is no. it – okay, it had to be after a make, I'm, I'm assuming. Yep, after a make. So, again, this is made, swing it to a coach, and then it's live. So it's a, it's a tough drill if, if, again, if you're pouting and, and if you're uh, not locked in to get a stop. And offensively, it's a fun drill if, uh, you know, you're, you're attacking and, and you guys are scoring. So very fun drill. And then the last thing here, um, you know, these things are obviously always talked about. Tom Izzo, I think, probably gets the credit for this. But, you know, we really try to be a player-led team. So – what I like to do is I love that drill towards the end of practice because it, it's you're tired, you know, you're you're gassed, and uh, we'll play games throughout our our practices like you guys just saw, and the last game will always be a player led game. So you know, I, it, it's a great opportunity for them to have to communicate. We try we we talk about communicating, not talking. So communicating while you're tired, and. Um, you know, it really just emphasizes this. You know, there's so many times in a game where we might not be able to stop the game and talk to them. So if they're getting that dialogue there in the heat of practice, you know, this stuff's really going to translate. So we, we really do a great job of, of emphasizing this and creating a practice plan. Uh, two other things I'll just give you guys on how we practice that's different. Uh, so I'll do audibles, and um, you guys obviously both know what an audible is in a football game. You know, I tell my staff, like, I'm going to audible this practice. Be prepared. And what that means is if there's something we're really struggling on with our guys, uh, I will pretty much stay on that in practice, and, and we will not move on until we get it. And I'm not married to what's on that piece of paper. So it makes my coaches better because I might say, hey, you know what, Marlon, why don't you take this segment, and I just need to sit and watch. You know, our communication's not good. I have a decibel app on my phone. So I'll, I'll pull out the phone and have the decibel app. And, you know, instead of me saying, hey, we're not loud enough on the decibel app, if we didn't get to 95, which is basically life where guys can hear each other and it's effective communication, then it, it's not right. So I'm able to give effective uh, feedback to my team by just being able to sit back and, and let others take the steering wheel. And then the last thing we do is, uh, is timeouts. So these timeouts are for me um, and the players. You know, I'll call a timeout if I feel like I'm about to get very frustrated. And, you know, I try to eliminate uh, – and I'm not judging anybody that does this, but for me, I, I used to curse up a storm when guys didn't do things right. And I want to correct and not, instead of criticize. So whenever I feel like I'm getting close to criticizing, I'm, I'm calling a timeout. And what that means is I'm walking to the other side of the gym probably praying or getting them four-letter words out myself, and it gives those guys time to be like, well, dang, what's wrong with, what's wrong with coach? And then be like, well, man, you turned the ball over three or four times. He told you not to do that, so that's what it is. And they lock back in, I lock back in, and we get back in there and we refocus. So I'll call one timeout of practice if needed, and the players have one timeout of practice if needed. Once we overgo those timeouts, you know, and we're still not locked in, I'll, I'll just throw you out. You know, at that point, we're, we're wasting time, so – Again, it just reiterates that, that player-led, that communication, um, you know, thing that, that I was telling you guys about in that last slide. And you know what? That, that's something different, you know. And, man, I'd love to get your thoughts on that as a head coach yourself. You call, a lot of times when we call timeouts in practice, it, it's to get everybody refocused. And, you know, the coach says, hey – 
I'll give you one time out, you guys figure it out. But never – and usually when that happens, the coach just stands right there on the sideline, lets the team coach themselves. But I, I think the nonverbal communication of you walking away lets them know, like, yo, we need to fix this. And you kind of put it back on them, and it kind of goes back to your point of elite teams are player-led. And that's something different that I've never heard before, but some good stuff. Matt, is it something along those lines that you do? How would you handle that? I'm stealing that. <laughs> I'm stealing that. Yeah. I'm, still, I'm still in that. I like that. I, I like that. I'm giving myself. I'm putting. I'm putting myself in timeout. <laughs> I'm putting myself in timeout before I. You know. No, I. I like that a lot. I. I. I, I mean, I like. I'm. I'm stealing that. I like that. I like. I like that a lot. That's. Uh, that's. That's good. That's a good one right there. I think is 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 needed. You know, probably won't be every practice, but you know. To, you know, to get yourself, you know, regulate yourself and to, you know, say, all right, let's get back to teaching and not, you know, just flying off the handle. That's a good, you know, way to de-escalate. And, uh, you know, and it also puts the, the pressure on them to fix whatever is going on. And like, I'm stealing that. That's, a, that's, how I feel, that's how I feel about it. <laughs> I'm stealing it. Yeah. And I think, too, man, like that's something that's really cool that I've enjoyed is you can be demanding without being demeaning. You know, so I want an environment where questions are welcome, not feared. So if you don't feel comfortable asking a question, that's on me. And that's an environment that I'm creating. So, you know, again, it's, it's all about that, that last slide where, where it's being player led, you know, and I want to eliminate coach talk. I don't want you to say, get back on right. defense. I want you to say, Hey, what do we do in our transition defense? Right. Well, I'm a get back guy coach. So I should be getting ball and I should be getting hold. Uh, one of us should be getting whole. So we want to create that dialogue where guys are speaking the game, right. you know, and it has to transfer from myself or us, and it has to go to them. But if we don't create that space, how is it going to transfer? And something else we're doing, I'm actually implementing this next week, you know, is I'm putting each guy paired with somebody. So Marlon, if you and I are partners, uh, if we're doing a drill, my only job, if we're partners, is to give you feedback. Uh, I, so, so it, it's now creating where, you know, I'm not sure about you guys as teams, but for, for us, we have guys that don't like conflict. So instead of me getting upset, taking it home that you don't pass the ball, I'm telling you right on the court, like, Hey, you look past me two or three times. Like I need you to, to make that extra pass. Right. Or if I'm doing well, like, yo, that was, that was a really good play. I like what you did. Uh, but again, just creating this, this dialogue. And that's, that's what you want. You know, I think us as coaches aren't quiet enough to let the dialogue happen, but that's the type of space we, we try to create. Now, how long will you do that for? Uh, you know, will you give them two weeks together, then you pair up another two guys? Like, what's your timetable with that? And, and do you have one? So I just got this today. Uh, <laughs> fresh off the presses. I'm not even taking the credit. Uh, shout out to Jason Wells. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he, he shared it with me. And I'm like, hmm, you know, I, I like that. And, and mainly because I, I have a team now where we're in a stage we need to be – we're not comfortable speaking those things to each other in the heat of the moment. So, you know, now I, we got to create that space. But I'm going to put the guys that don't like talking to each other together, to be honest with you, and, and, and see, how that, see how that goes. And, you know, again, I think eventually you, you start to put your point guards together. So now they're saying like, hey – Remember, coach says don't ball ahead there because we don't have an advantage. Just bring it over, and then we get to our offense. And I think that's really going to help. At the end of the day, that's I want them to start to speak our language. And you can speak it. Your body can get there. And, um, you know, we're, we're very coach-led right now because it's very new for these guys. Right, right. But sh shout out to Jay Wells on that one. And as soon as you said it, it sounded like a Jay Wells move. Um, you know, Matt, uh, Jason Wells is a guy that played at Indiana State. now a, I don't even know what you call him, motivational speaker slash life coach. Um, I call him a purpose coach. Yes, purpose coach. Uh, you know, for those of our listeners that uh, haven't had a chance to listen to Jason Wells, you can find him on Twitter, YouTube, IG. Uh, highly recommend him. 
Uh, but, you know, just moving forward with that, obviously now you being a head coach, uh, who have been your mentors and what have you picked up from your different stops that made you ready for this point to lead your own program at Salisbury? Hmm. Well, I think there's, there's two things. You can prepare as much as you want, but you're never truly ready. Mm-hmm. And uh, Marlon, I'm pretty sure you're a, you're a dad, right? Yes. Matt, are you a dad? I am, twice. Got you. So, I mean, when, when we hit that stage, we have a one-year-old. Man, I picked up notebooks. Uh, we didn't do, I didn't do no classes. Uh, and, and the reason being is not because I, I want to be ignorant, but it's just one of those things that I knew that every child's different. And I'm going to have to learn this just going, you know, full speed going in and, and learn by trial and error. So, you know, I say that because, I mean, you can study as much as you want, but you really got to be in that, in that thing to really, really know what you're doing. So that's the first thing. And then the second part of that question, Marlon, is every coach I've worked for has poured into me in some type of way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even coaches that don't even know, um, you know, that, I, that I'm learning from them, I've learned from them. You know, and I think you can learn just as important from a, from a negative experience as you can from a positive experience. Uh, you know, again, we were talking about Josh Leffler on here, but Josh was huge for me. Uh, Josh showed me a game of basketball, a way of basketball I had never seen. Right, right. And, uh, you know, that was that was real fun. But he got that from from Fran O'Hanlon at Lafayette. You know, so he'll be the first to tell you. So, you know, he was huge. I worked for a guy named Josh Merkel, who's the head coach at Randolph Macon. Um, you know, they they had they had an incredible season this year. Um, he's been at the Division One level. You know, man, there's there's just been so many programs that's really poured into me, and, and I, I've learned a lot. And, and I think being a younger coach, I would inspire anybody is, is to learn and invest in your resume. You know, not one of those jobs I took for money. You know, I took to learn. I took to grow. Uh, I didn't start making money until six years into coaching. You know, I was flipping pizzas for a year just to go coach. You know, I told people all the time, if I can just get to 4 o'clock, which was when practice started, I knew my day would get better because that's what I was doing. You know, whatever it took to uh, be able to coach. And, and, and that's what I – that's how I started and, and that's where I am now. Yeah, that, no, I, I think, uh, you know, younger guys need to hear that because everybody thinks that it's the quick fix and it's not not like that uh, at, at all, man. So, you know, but with that, you know, Coach Mota, this was great. Uh, you know, we wanted to get you on here, man, and – Come uh, kick it with us and, and, and hang out. Hopefully you had a good time. We get a little crazy on here, but, you know, the the premise of this is for guys to show their X's and O's game. And obviously with you leading a program, uh, you're going to continue to do that, man. And we're looking forward to watching you, you know, progress with your program at Salisbury. Huh? No, I appreciate it, man. And again, you know, I, I just – Love the platform you guys have created for, for minority coaches, man. This is powerful, you know, and I challenge us all, man, to continue to support this, man, because it was fun to do. You know, I learned from you guys, and, uh, you know, I, my prayer is that this continues to grow, man, and you continue to just find these coaches, man, that, that can use this and, and, and promote not just themselves, but I always tell this to our guys and my staff, this is my practice. So this is how I get better. You know, this is, these are my reps where I'm, I'm able to put things out and, and see how, see how it is. And, you know, we're, we're essentially just had a meeting that was recorded, you know, my eyes, we, we had a meeting and uh, we got fades as well while we was in that meeting. And we listened to Matt's uh, strong, strong conversation about how much he loves Nas. And, you know, it was, uh, it was a good uh, and I appreciate you, Coach. Like I said, the, the, we start, when we started the, the platform, I looked at it as an opportunity for me to learn, for me to get better as a coach, along with promoting guys and, you know, all the things that come with it. But, you know, the first and foremost was we're in a pandemic and, you know, we're all separated, but let's get together and, and be able to learn and learn from other coaches and things like that. And so just, you know, the nugget that you dropped today, you know, like I said, is something that, you know, I'm immediate, you know, I'm putting that in for myself. So just, you know, that alone, you know, I'm appreciative of the opportunity to, you know, to, you know, learn from you. So that's what this is about. It's about sharing the game and, and guys, you know, connecting and, and networking and, and not just networking for, you know, 
networking to for job advancement as far as you know who you know it's networking to know to get better as a coach and that's you know i know i did today and i believe i I know our our listeners uh, will as well so you know i'm appreciative of that so thank you very much i appreciate you yes sir appreciate i appreciate you mo and you know as always we appreciate appreciate our listeners uh for matt collier this is marlon gill signing off for the uh, Bleachers and Boards podcast brought to you by the Hoop Heads Network. Make sure you check us out on Twitter, IG, YouTube. And as always, hopefully you come back and listen to us again. Well, that's another episode of Bleachers and Boards brought to you by the Hoop Heads podcast. Don't forget to check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at Bleachers and Boards. Until next time, see you soon.